at Jared. We know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another episode of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Cicillo, and with me today is Jared Smith. Just me right now? Just you and I? Just you and I. <laughs> Dan will be nice. here. Soon. Nice. Well, we get to powwow for uh, an hour or so about uh, the chaotic events of the last few days, so I'm sure we have a lot to talk about. Yeah, um, I figure, I mean, obviously we've posted tippy some odd articles on the site about the sanctions. Everybody else is to weigh in with their own hot takes. Um, figures we spend half our time talking about that, the other half talking about maybe football, but mostly uh, the NCAA tournament because that is what the, uh, the sporting world is definitely turning its eyes to. So, Jared, starting out with you, um, just kind of, where are you at in terms of the sanctions, how you feel, how you feel things are going forward? Yeah, I don't know if I completely wrap my head or I have a better idea now than I did like a couple of days ago, but it's there's still a lot to kind of wrap your head around still. I mean, try to figure out where you are on the penalties overall. And, you know, the more I read, the more I feel that, the penalties that were in situations the scholarships and other, you know, kind of smaller things, I think we're okay. Um, I'm still trying to wrap my head around more about, you know, the vacated wins. I, I understand they're trying to punish Bayheim, uh, but I just, it, to me, it just seems silly or something they were just trying to make a point on. Um, overall, though, I think, I mean, I think when the appeals come down and things get removed, all in all, I think it's going to work out where I think uh, Syracuse fans um, will be not okay with what happened. Like uh, I know, you know, we Dan Lyons talks about like how harsh in, in the scheme of things overall when it compares to other schools, uh, Syracuse has been dealt a historic blow. Um, but a lot of that I think has to deal with. Uh, the NCAA, knowing the appeals process is going to happen and probably being kind of a little pissed off about uh, Syracuse in general when, (laughs) let's just face it, the NCAA was at Syracuse investigating things that was going on uh, and Syracuse was still breaking rules or still trying to break rules. 
And I think that's more than anything that's why we, we are where we're at right now is because of the incompetence that was going on. Uh, it really, the NCAA just being mad at that more than anything else. So I think that overall as a fan base, uh, we should be really upset at the people in charge. Uh, you know, you can be upset at Bayheim if he was in charge of the program. But overall, I think, you know, I, I'm going to be the person to say that the most Daryl Gross, he should have been fired yesterday or, uh, you know, it's almost as soon as the <laughs> sanctions came out because his role in this whole ordeal is pretty, I wouldn't say intense, but it's impressive how incompetent he was at his job uh, when it came to compliance and trying, you know, even in the Fab Mello situation, uh, how important his role played in all this. And uh, it's just shocking to me. And, you know, it's going to be a stain on Bayheim's legacy, but, you know, Daryl Gross probably will never find another AD job moving forward. I mean, unless Syracuse doesn't grow any balls and fire him, which I'm surprised they haven't yet. Yeah, I, I think Gross has kind of uh, been brought to the crosshairs by just about every Syracuse fan at this point. Um, somebody has to take the fall for this, and, and while the NCAA elected Bayheim, I think we're going to see through by the time the appeals process is wrapped up that uh, the, the fall guy really has to be gross here. I mean, just a complete and utter um, lack of attention to detail, lack of attention to uh, the general order of things, the fact, as you brought up, that we were breaking rules as the NCAA was on campus investigating us breaking rules. Um, just just a bit too much, um, you know, administrative incompetence um, on, on the part of SU. And unfortunately, the, the buck has to stop at gross. Um, and, you know, you're right. I, I don't see him heading elsewhere at this point. I know a lot of us thought, uh, well, at least the Olympic sports have been doing well. At least women's sports have improved under gross. Um you know, Pat Hayden leaves USC. He would seem to be first in line now. Uh, you know, the uh, the shooting star that was Daryl Gross in the uh, sports administrative world is now um, completely faded, um, I think, in, in a lot of people's books. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens after the appeals process, how quickly, um, you know, SU gets rid of uh, gets rid of Gross and how quickly they can find a replacement uh, that doesn't really have any ties to this administration. Yeah, I think my overall thing, I mean, I understand why people go after Bayheim, especially the na- the national media, because, you know, Bayheim has, a you know, a shaky relationship with the media and has crossed probably too many paths and pissed off too many people in that aspect. But also, I mean, we can all admit that Bayheim is, you know, he's the head man of the basketball program and the university. I mean, when you think of Syracuse University, you think of Jane Bayheim being there for all those years and all the things that he's done um, in all the games that he's won and the success he's had. So, I mean, with that itself, Beheim, with his success, has kind of, you know, catapulted himself in a position where if something goes wrong at the university, the first person everyone's going to point at or, or call out for as a scapegoat is going to be Beheim. And, you know, just because of his laissez-faire attitude with a lot of his his program. Um, though we're seeing now a little bit more people come out of the woodwork. They used to work for Bayheim or works near Bayheim saying, you know, he actually was pretty hands-on on some of these things. 
it was, you know, other things that he was trying to just let things go. But, um, you know, that's where I think the NCAA went after Mayheim in such a way that they did because, you know, he's just, he's the name and he's the one that, you know, has said things about the NCAA and, and continues to seemingly bend the rules every once in a while. Um, and this is not his, you know, first go round with the NCAA either. So that doesn't probably sit well with an organization. Uh, but overall, um, you know, Beheim is the head man. He's the one who's going to blame. But if you do your research and you look into what they found and how things were run uh, under Gross, I understand he did a lot with the PR and was a good guy, politician. But when it came to leadership in trying to make sure everything was running smoothly, he was, like I said, incompetent. And people can come after me if they want to I'll call him that, but that's exactly what he is, and he needs to go, and he needs to go, like I said, on Monday, because the fact, before we played even in the Fad Mel situation, where he was trying, like, he was in the group of, like, a part of the roundtable, sort of leading the roundtable to try to figure out how they could change a grade of Fad Mellows from his freshman year, uh, and even, like, they kind of worked together to try to make everything uh, it's just it's just crazy, uh, and then then not even knowing his own drug policy, uh, would you think that'd be the first thing when he's on the job he would know, like or how to enforce it or how to use it? And he basically went during the hearing, he just basically claimed like I have no idea. The wording's weird, so I didn't even bother with it. And that's just terrible. Like when you go to a hearing to defend yourself, like in a court of law, and you go to the judge and you're just like, yeah, judge, I just didn't understand the law, like. So I figured I'd just ignore it. It just makes any sense. That's just awful excuse for a defense. Yeah, I'd agree there. I, I mean, I, I think everyone expects a certain amount of incompetence the more bureaucracy you put into an organization. But the fact of the matter is that this, this is wild incompetence um, on the fact of Syracuse University's athletic department. Um, and obviously, again, that, that book passes the gross at the end of the day. Um, what I want to see going forward um, is, is obviously the changes that, that Severud is, is specifically spelled out, that the athletic department is specifically spelled out. But I, I'd really like to see a, a thorough and complete search um, on a new AD that, that is completely, you know, removed from, from this situation. And I think th- there'll, there'll be a time for, for that conversation uh, amongst the fan base. Um, I haven't really done any research into it now. But, I mean, for replacements, do you want to see somebody who, another person who comes in saying, I'm going to fix football, or do you want to see someone who has some Syracuse ties, maybe understands our athletic department's uh, unique issues, and and potentially, um, you know, even has some very, very distinct ties to Syracuse? Well, I, I, I mean, that's, that's a tough question for me to answer, but... If I, you know, if I'm looking at a PR standpoint, you, I think you try to bring in someone outside the university who's going to bring some credibility in the sense of like discipline and making sure that, uh, you know, at least for a while, uh, it's going to be a tight ship and everything's going to be running the way it should be run. No excuses. Like you can't bend or break anything, and you have to have that communication with you know, reporters or the NCAA or whoever 
um, or that transparency uh, with everyone so they understand that this is how we're fixing things, this is how things are going to be run. Uh, and, I, you know, it's fine with me if our AD is not sitting, you know, uh, courtside during uh, basketball games, huckling up with his buddies and shaking hands with everyone he can and getting in every photo opportunity. Uh, that's really not – I mean, I understand that's part of the AD's job, but uh, his job is to be the leader and set an example of, the, of an organization and do his job in the sense of, like, making sure everyone is following the rules and doing a good job. And uh, that's, that's really what Syracuse should look, look for. I just don't think credibility-wise that Syracuse kind of went, quote-unquote, in-house or had someone connected to the university at one point. Uh, if that would work, I mean, if that would work out uh, PR-wise nationally. Uh, so I, I think they would have to kind of reach outside. What do you think? Uh, I'm assuming outside, and uh, I'll kind of see the floor to, to Dan slightly. He just uh, just joined us. How's it going, guys? Hello, Dan. Very well. Very well. We're we're talking out our feelings. Oh, I mean that's how we usually handle this anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I just thought the last like two and a half minutes of that. Um, I agree. I think going outside at this point is really the the smart move. I think we want to kind of distance ourselves from anyone who could have been tied up in any of the various failings of the athletic department over the last uh, 10 years or so. Um, I, I think it's actually, it just popped in my head as soon as I got on the call. Uh, Silverwood has ties to Vanderbilt. Um, Vanderbilt is, you know, one of the other few private power conference uh, football schools out there, and they've had some degree of success. Obviously, the James Franklin uh, poaching by Penn State left them in a really bad position uh, for a lot of reasons, more so than most coaches leaving do because of how he basically ransacked their uh, recruiting class and whatnot. But um, I think they're not necessarily a model, but that's a program uh, and a, uh, an athletic department that has to deal with more strenuous academic issues than Syracuse. Uh, Syracuse usually gets the kids they need, they want to win, um, and they don't run too much differently than a public school in that regard. But also they understand the, the constraints of, of running an athletic department uh, in a major conference without having the advantages of a public school. So maybe he knows people uh, from his background uh, at Vandy uh, that can, you know, that might be a, a good candidate. But it, it's still hard with athletic depart- uh, directors because they come from, it's not like a coach where you know, your next head coach is going to be a previous coach somewhere at some rank. Like athletic directors kind of come from a lot of different backgrounds. So there's no like obvious hire. Yeah. And I guess that's what I was hitting on uh, kind of before you, uh, you came on Dan is that unfortunately there is, there is no obvious choice here, but um, the big issue is, you know, do you find someone who while doesn't have ties to the current administration, um, maybe, you know, knows the the program, or do you pick someone who is completely, like Gross, an outsider and and kind of comes in with a, you know, an I'm going to fix football and I'm going to turn Syracuse into a team that can win eight or nine games every year uh, type mantra. And and I'm not sure that that those are the only two options, uh, that it's as simple as that, which I guess is what is going to make this process once it comes about, and it is. 
uh, I think all of us are kind of sold on that, even if it has nothing been uh, publicly announced or, or, I mean, who knows how lengthy it's been discussed. But we're going to see someone who, who can bring Syracuse, and especially Syracuse football, um, into kind of a new era of, of hopefully success. Yeah, um, I think it's almost like I just said it wasn't like hiring football coach, but in one way that it is, is like football programs you'll often see kind of vacillate between like offensive and defensive hires. Like, you know, they have a head coach who was an offensive coordinator. They, you know, after it turns out with them, they decide to turn to the defense as they assume that's kind of where the failing was. And with Gross, Obviously, the football program was a major issue, uh, and that's when he was hired, and that didn't really get solved. But I do think that uh, Gross does still deserve credit for allowing or for helping Syracuse get into the ACC, which was probably the biggest issue, um, not when he was hired, but that that Syracuse faced uh, during his tenure. So he does deserve credit for that. It's not like, you know, everything he did was was terrible. But now that Syracuse has kind of landed safely in the ACC, the issue remains getting the, pro- the football program on track and now, you know, making sure the transition uh, in the basketball program is smooth and the basketball program doesn't get buried by these sanctions, which I think could go either way. I, I think Syracuse could easily survive the sanctions or I could see them being very prohibitive to future success. So I don't think a guy like Gross, I think we, we've gotten the job done in terms of selling the university into getting uh, one of the, like, whatever it is, 50-60 chair spots where we're at the table now. So now we need someone who can elevate the sports that we need to elevate. And I, I know you wrote a piece about how Syracuse needs to uh, really focus on football going forward. And uh, I think, I mean, I think that's kind of been uh, true the last, you know, dozen years. It's just, uh, you know, it was the one thing that Gross couldn't quite hammer down. Um, it didn't help that Marone left, and it seemed like he had done it there, and people will give him varying uh, levels of of uh, credit for that hire, but um, that's definitely got to be, I think, issue one, one or 1A one along with keeping basketball afloat for the next guy, who I think we all know, we all can imagine is coming. Um, I, I said it in the roundtable today, I think, uh, we'll probably have a new athletic director by next uh, next fall, but either way, it, it's going to be very soon, I think. Yeah, and also one thing, just to, to talk on what Dan said about Gross, at least his ability to help transition to the ACC, he was very uh, a huge part of that, and that's I mean that's one thing we have to give him credit about. Marketing wise, he did a fantastic job when it came to the program, I guess you could say, in the sense that he did help kind of. Helped that bridge into the uh, ACC uh, and did a very good job with that. And obviously, <laughs> Syracuse is making more money now uh, when it comes to TV deals and stuff like that than they were when he first came here. So uh, I, you could probably argue too that you know he's taken all the money from Nike and running with it as well. Uh, so that helps in a sense there. So with that, I'll give him that. So that he he did do that, but uh, that all goes away when everything else gets taken away. So you can't can't bring in all the money and then let everything else slip it as well, because in the end, it's it's not going to matter. It's like, you can can bring in all the recruits that you want, but if you're not winning games in the end or championships, it's not going to matter. So, I mean, that's that's basically how I sort of look at it with Russ. 
Yeah, and I mean, I guess the issue is, too, that um, there's two sides to that, you know, marketing-centric coin. Um, that goes for growth or anyone else is that, uh, on the one hand, the marketing obviously uh, had its benefits and obviously got us somewhere um, advantageous as an athletic department. On the other hand, that marketing is also kind of mimicked the, you know, marketing PR mantra, perception is reality. Um, and this coming from someone who works in PR, <laughs> that you, uh, you know, the athletic department at the end of the day was very much about the appearances and, and over time, it seemed, um, based on the, the, the findings of fact, that, that it was, it was more, um, obsessed with the, uh, the perception versus versus that reality, whether it came to uh, the brand around athletics or the players that were eligible or what the university was doing in terms of um, keeping up with academics or behavioral issues or whatever it may be, um, there was definitely a, a concerted effort to, to keep up um, appearances o- o- over actual um, action. So that is certainly uh, a scary thing. Um, but refocusing a little bit, here. I know, Dan, you mentioned my piece from the other day uh, just about kind of SU focusing on being a football school. And it's funny to me, and again, this is not even like, not funny in a, in a mocking anyone, anyone who commented the way, but the one thing I did notice right away in that piece is how quickly everyone was uh, was willing to shout the idea down. I mean, do, do you think that at this point, um, the SU fan base has kind of gotten um, gotten past the point where, where it can really uh, fully accept a, a football-centric school, fully accept um, a football-centric athletic department. Um, are, are we are we deeply entrenched in basketball school territory? Because at this point, I mean, then based on the conversation that I saw happening um, there, it, it very much seems so. And that can go to Dan or Jared, whoever wants to answer first. Dan, um, you first. Oh, cool. Uh, it's weird because I think – I think Syracuse, at least for the for the rest of the Bayheim tenure, and probably for a good deal after that, is going to be a basketball school in terms of just the balance between the two. That being said, I agreed with the general premise of your post because I think basketball is an easier sport to build and maintain, um, just because it's, it's fewer players to deal with. Uh, there's a far easier to make it to the post to the meaningful postseason. Um, you know, 68 teams have a chance to win a national title and stay, you know, as relevant as possible. And even one year, you know, we're going to miss the, the tournament this year. It's not going to be the end of the world in terms of, you know, we're not going to lose the whole class of recruits. We actually have a top five class coming in. Football is far harder to build and maintain. Um, and I think football schools, you've, you've seen that they, if they want to focus on basketball, they don't need to sacrifice much to do so. Like a Florida can come out of nowhere, make it one good hire, and go to and win two national titles and go to a bunch of Final Fours, um, it's going to be a longer road for Syracuse to do anything close to that in football. But I do think that's where the effort needs to be because even Syracuse now pulls in, you know, football is going to make more money than basketball for almost every school, no matter how good they are in both sports. Um, so, yeah, I think that's where the focus needs to be. I think that's just where college football is. And, and I think people got scared by the post because they might have thought it meant, like, abandoning basketball as the main sport. And I don't think that's necessarily true. I just think the efforts of the athletic department need to be to build football up because that can turn the athletic department from something that's covering, you know, just above uh, above the, the 
line of where they're not making money to a really powerful one. Like with the Louisville, their football program isn't great, but it's getting very good, and their basketball program is great, and they have one of the most successful athletic departments in the country. Syracuse doesn't have some of the advantages that Louisville does. It already has one elite sport that makes more money than virtually every other, all 340 other D1 uh, teams, aside from like one or two. Uh, so now if you get football to where it's even, you know, pulling in 42,000 fans a game, not selling out the dome necessarily, but, but putting forth good attendance numbers and winning seven or eight games a year and having a, an engaged fan base, you know, Syracuse Athletics is going to be way better off than just having basketball carrying the whole department every year. I will say as much as I'd like to agree, I, I agree with you fellas on how important football is to uh, a, a school and a university if you're doing both, you know, basketball and football because, you know, obviously they bring in the most money at – and football is way ahead of basketball if you do it right. Um, it, it's I just don't see. Not, I wouldn't say I, I. I think there's a push to try to make football better. I just don't see it happening in the sense that I think it's extremely hard for Syracuse to sell itself as a football program, especially when the fans number one, all they, the majority of the fans. Uh, you know, in a larger scale, if you're thinking of, I mean, because when it comes to Syracuse athletics, that's pretty much the professional sports, you know, scene in central New York. Uh, I mean, everyone, you know, I live in Ithaca, New York, uh, and it's a big Syracuse contingent here, but not everyone's really glued. The only ones that are glued into the football team are like Syracuse diehards, like my stepfather and the rest will catch a Syracuse football game every once in a while, while the rest of the, rest of the uh, you know, fan base around here, that's all I care about is, is basketball. That's every, it's, you know, everyone in my area knows, you know, that I write for noons, and that's all they want to talk about is Syracuse basketball. And I think it really is very tough for a program like Syracuse, where they're located, how they need to bring in recruits, with, you know, the facilities that they have, you could argue the coaching staff that they have uh, to bring in the people they need or the players that they need when basketball is the biggest focus from a fan standpoint than uh, than football is. Uh, I, I don't know how much of a reality that is. Uh, that, you know, that's just my opinion. But I just don't see it happening uh I really, I don't know. I want to say ever, but there there needs to be a, a shift somewhere in the college football landscape for Syracuse to start competing at the level that you know you guys want them to to be relevant in the national level. Um, it could be coming. Like once everything kind of breaks up and things get different, we we just don't know when that's going to be. But with the model that's set right now, I just don't see Syracuse, you know, ever being better that, you know, you know it's going to be very tough for them to compete with the Florida States and the Clemsons every year in that division uh, and even the, some of the other teams uh, to even compete. So uh, I just think you're looking at a team that's going to try to struggle for to get to 500 every year. And I don't really – I don't even think it matters what coach you have uh, either. So I, that that's just my opinion. I think you're right in the sense that that's where the focus should be. I just don't know how much it's actually going to matter. 
Right. And, and you know what? And I think Dan kind of hit on this too. I think both he and I being, you know, two of the, I think, bigger football guys on this, on the site, both commenters wise and, and, and staff wise, I think Sean being probably the other third one in, in that group. Um, it's not that I think we should compete with Florida State and Clemson every year, because I don't necessarily think that's always going to happen. I would like to think we have a chance to upset them every year um, at some point. What, what I would like to see is an investment an investment to create an environment in which football is, is seen as in a potential equal to, to basketball um, and a potential um, – relevant sports for those outside the pro would be a nice start and for people we can go there. No, that was me and my soda stream. Sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) A little parched. I had to create some salt there. Uh, (laughs) uh, Soda streams are fantastic, by the way. If you uh, drink a lot of uh, seltzer, Go out and get yourself one. Um, My point, though, is uh, not only – I know I made a point about, you know, uh, fan bases. I also think maybe the student fan base really can't support a good football team. You know, I mean, they they have a hard enough time (laughs) trying to get in behind the basketball sometimes, too. I wonder how much that actually hurts uh, Syracuse as a football program as well. Uh, That, you know, kind of the student fan base when it comes to football – um, I mean, because they've had some good teams, uh, not you know, just had some decent teams in the last four or five years, and they still have trouble getting, you know, a, a good, you know, following when it comes to the SG students to get going. And I wonder how much that hurts too. I think that's definitely the student a factor, fan base right? is terrible. Yeah, you go for it. I think if, if you just look at the footprint of where Syracuse students come from. Um, there's not a lot of Syracuse football fans coming from places outside of CNY aside from alumni. So, I mean, I, you know, jumped on the bandwagon and, and felt and supported my, my alma mater when I came to college football, and I was a college football fan already. But aside, if, you, if there are people that I met at Syracuse who were already Syracuse fans, they were either from Central New York or, alum, or, or uh, kids of alumni which obviously isn't uh, the majority of Syracuse students. So most of them are coming from the New York metropolitan area, Boston, Philly, uh, some of the DMV, uh, a little bit of like Michigan, and and they either carry uh, predispositions to root for teams like Notre Dame or Penn State, um, or they have no interest in college football, uh, whereas college basketball I think um, is more – culturally geared towards the Northeast. So even if they didn't have a team they rooted for, um, they might have watched the NCAA tournament or might have watched the Big East tournament. So I do think that is a major uh, hurdle to get over. That being said, I mean, the Syracuse student section full pretty much every first game of the year. The problem is Syracuse never wins those games or the team is boring or it just is. I mean, they're not good excuses. I, I'm fully on board with the whole you should root for your alma mater and support the team and buy the really cheap season tickets no matter what. But I'm also, you know, after four years of Syracuse and three years out, I'm very aware that that's not the reality of the situation. Uh, But that definitely is a part of it. The thing is that the the student section is such a small part of the dome. Um, 
you know, it doesn't look great the the 15 minutes before the game starts when it's half empty because people are still trying to get in the dome. And I, you know, we're we're always going to see complaints about that. But um, it's a it's a small percentage of of who's actually going to the game. So getting the whole fan base on board is, uh, I think, more essential than just getting the students. Like they're never going to fill the whole stadium. Yeah, I agree with that, Dan. And uh, you know, but overall, you you bring up a good point there. Um, I know I'm one of probably the only people that's ever gone to Syracuse from outside of Central New York uh, that was a Syracuse football and basketball fan beforehand. Um, I mean, granted, I was still in state on Long Island, but um, I mean, I know plenty of alums who who only care in a half-assed manner, and, and it's not necessarily to, to criticize them. It's more just to point out the fact that you know these last 10, 10 years or so, um, have been kind of tough for a lot of Syracuse fans. Um, and now you just kind of have it indoctrinated in into fans uh, that show up on campus that, you know, uh, SU's a basketball school and, and football is kind of secondary. I mean, my wife went there the same time I did from 06 to 2010, and she paid zero mind to the football team, um, pretty much dragged kicking and screaming to watch any game, uh, was not pleased when, when I – took it upon myself to buy her a ticket to the pinstripe bowl uh, the second time around. <laughs> so this is not, this has become kind of a, an issue within the, uh, the entire student body and ending alums um, as a result. But I think you're right, Dan, this is not to just harp on those. I mean, yes, a good student section will, off, will oftentimes be uh, infectious and contagious to the rest of the fan base um, that's on site. That said, it is not, it can't be boiled down to just them, and it shouldn't be all put on them to do all the work when um, the people in central New York and the people who have followed the team for years um, have, have just as quickly abandoned uh, this team, and those people have been watching them for, for sometimes 20, 30 years. So um, I think we have to kind of apply the same standard to those who have watched the team for 20, 30 years versus those who are just being brought into the fold um, you know, in their first or second or third August on campus. Yeah, I mean, you guys make very good points, and I, I, I agree in that sense. I guess uh, the only thing saving us all now right now, I guess, is the cross, right? I mean, <laughs> that's going to be our saving grace for, like, hopefully, what, the next three or four years for, for a while. Though next year's basketball team should be pretty, pretty good. So, I mean, do we want to touch on touch on that, maybe the, the future of next year and then what could be ahead a, a little bit? I think we do, though I think what we want to do first is talk about some beer. <laughs> you could do that. So, uh, Jared, you're not drinking at the moment. I have been drinking, but not not very fancy. So I don't go out a whole lot. So I was trying to think what uh, – I did have some Ithaca Green uh, Green Trail the other day. So that was our couple of – I heard very ago. good. That's, that's, a, that's a good beer. So that's a good beer even for someone who – uh, isn't like really into uh, like craft beers or scared. So it's I mean it's it's pretty crafty when it comes to like a, it's got a hint of a bitter taste, but it's pretty smooth. Uh, it's very good. Ithaca beer is doing a very good job of uh, you know finding new and creative ways to kind of have people touch beers. So I really like that having them local. Yeah. I haven't had so much different stuff recently, but they're they're always 
the stuff that I've had, you know, the apricot wheat is, is good. The uh, brown nuts really good. They they seem to have their their act together. Um, unfortunately, you can't find it too far outside of the uh, state of New York area. Yeah, the apricot wheat I really like. It's a really good summer beer. For sure. I hate apricots, so unfortunately, no matter how good it may be, <laughs> I just don't think I can get behind it. I'm not a huge apricot fan in general, but the beer is good. But you know, they're, they're you don't. Know, I mean, I'm not. I don't really like cherries, so I'm kind of the same way. I've had cherry wheat, and it's, it's fine. But you know, most of the time I have to pass and stuff like that. So same thing. Fair enough. So Dan, oh, what have you been drinking lately? Well, real quick, there was a, there is another beer I've had. Uh, Upstate Brewing does the Common Sense. I don't know if that's ever been mentioned uh, on the podcast, but I've had that. That's a very good beer, too. Not at that one. Where's Upstate Brewing located? Uh, Good question. It might be Utica, but I might be thinking of a different one. Let me look. Um, so yeah, I had uh, a bunch of the stuff I sent you, uh, I picked, uh, John, I picked the bottles for myself. Um, the one I didn't send you because uh, you have a mu- you'd have a much easier time getting it than I do, although it's not very hard. Uh, I had Sierra Nevada's Keller White, which I hadn't had. Um, usually, mostly because when I think of Sierra Nevada, I'm looking for an IPA or something a little more hoppy. The, the Keller White really isn't, but it's still really good. I was impressed with, with uh, what they did with the uh, but that style, which is obviously one of my favorites for those who listen fairly re- uh, frequently. Um, so, yeah, surprised by how much I enjoyed that since it, it seemed a little outside their comfort zone, but they're a really good brewery, so not not totally surprised. Um, and then the ones I sent you today, I, ha- I, I haven't, didn't have my, my own bottle of the Sriracha 8, but uh, the Fresh Chester Pale Ale and the Sunblock uh, Wit from Captain Lawrence, two of my, my favorite um Captain Lawrence, one of my favorite breweries up the road in Westchester. Uh, I think I've brought them up before, so no no use really going too far into them, but they're both uh, both really solid brews, and obviously you can get them everywhere around here, so it's, it's always nice to be able to have those available. Agreed, and I'm glad I got that box today because I'm very much looking forward to them. Though I have gotten several trade boxes in, so I kind of have to, had to figure out a batting order here of a what's getting drank when. Um, as always, I drank a lot last week. Um, had Modern Times, uh, Proto Cosmos, definitely the best IPA Modern Times has put out. Uh, really put forward those galaxy hops um, in, in a great way that wasn't too bitter. Um, if you're you know, not a big fan of West Coast IPAs, probably not the one for you, but that said, probably not the worst one for you either. Um, so definitely recommend it for those in Southern California area and in NorCal now, um, as well as Maui, uh, where they've expanded their uh, distribution. So uh, I was down in San Diego this past weekend, so we got to drink plenty of great stuff. Um, at Acoustic Ales, uh, halfway to the Danger Zone, it was a really great uh, double IPA. Uh, got to have... Uh, Stone has their Spotlight series. It's these one-off beers they kind of make. Um, you can find it at their locations. Uh, this one was their uh, light gray uh, West Coast White Ale. Um, very, uh, very citrusy. Uh, really enjoyable uh, beer. Also got to enjoy the uh, 2015 Old Guardian Barley Wine Extra Hoppy. Um, on the odd years, um, Stone brews an extra hoppy version of their Old Guardian. 
so obviously this thing in 2015. Got to have one of those. Uh, really, really enjoyed that. And then I'm currently just finishing off a uh, a pseudo Sioux, one of the uh, most raved about pale ales in the country, uh, from Toppling Goliath in Iowa. So got to uh, get to get that via trade, and uh, thoroughly enjoyed that beer. Probably my second favorite pale ale um, I've had behind uh, Zombie Dust from Three Floyds. Uh, Upstate Brewing is in Elmira, New York. So it's actually right down the road for me. There you go. Yeah. I haven't seen so, I've heard of them before, but I haven't I don't even had anything from them, so Yeah, they're common sense their common sense beer is very good. Uh I was gonna pick up the other day at the store, uh, but it had it seemed like it had a board on date or it had an expiration date and it was late did not pick it up. So I have to figure out what my grocery store is doing with the date on the on the beer because don't want no skunky beer. I would agree, though I would also counter that a lot of grocery stores in general would be prone to having quote-unquote skunkier beer if they're going to expose it to too much light, which I feel like a lot of uh, grocery stores do accidentally because they don't really know how beer um, gets adversely affected. Well, surprisingly, Upstate Brewing does their uh, like bottling in a uh, can, 16-ounce can, so... They do the, they do no the big, like, here. 16... No complaints here, because I would say that that is definitely the way to go in terms of uh, avoiding um, bad light exposure. I know a lot of places around here do cans. There's plenty of that only do bottles, though. Um, plenty that do bulk. I know Stone, notably, has been the, uh, the one brewery that's really uh, actively avoided cans um, at all costs around here, but a lot of the other uh, Southern California brewers, um, especially when it comes to, you know, being at the beach, or uh, or being in uh, tailgating environments, everybody is kind of jumped on the can bandwagon, safe stone. All right, so do we want to talk about future escapades for the basketball program in shambles, according to everybody else? Sure, talk about that for a couple minutes, but I do want to make sure we talk about NCAA tournaments since well, I am sad about our team, at the end of the day, there are a lot of other teams playing that we should sure. definitely focus on. Yeah, that's true. I can't wait till the brackets come up. That's always my favorite day of the year. So do you I want will to be actively about, avoiding that this year. <laughs> are we... I'll be are watching the New York Knickerbockers. <laughs> I will not be doing that, yeah. Uh, are we confident that the that the uh, the program can survive this? Because I I feel all right. I think it'll be interesting to see how the scholarships work out. I guess we're just hoping that uh, we have a lot of one and done players or players that decide to stick around for a little bit, uh, and how well that's going to work out talent talent wise. But at least I think initially for the first maybe couple years, Syracuse might be okay. Yeah, I'm not worried about next year. Uh, I think um, in two or three years, especially with the point guard situation, um, I have faith that Caleb Joseph works out. But um, 
it's going to be Caleb and Franklin Howard, who's not, you know, a supernatural point guard. He's, he's trying to become one. So with, with limited scholarships, like, you really can't – like people have been saying, you can't miss some recruits. Uh, the flip side is this might influence Syracuse to – because there are fewer scholarships available – it might uh, cause Syracuse to target more uh, one-and-done potential guys, which right now Syracuse seems to do like once every couple of years. If, if it, you know they, they figure out if they're a uh, legitimate shot to get someone, like they did with McCullough, uh, and you know I'm not sure if Brian would have been a one-and-done type, but I think he would have been like a fringe one. Um, and if not, it seems like Beheim passes on guys really pretty early or like gets out of the race. Whereas if he thinks there's a, a good shot, he'll stay in it, like with Nerlens Noel or Anthony Davis. Um, so maybe Syracuse goes after more of those types to just kind of make, keep the roster turning over and and uh, not get stuck with someone who might not be able to produce while they're on the roster for four years, taking up a valuable spot. And also, um, it seems like the NCAA is shifting towards where scholarships are going to be guaranteed. So as much as some people seem to want to run off people, uh, notably Ron Patterson, B.J. Johnson, like, that doesn't seem like it's going to be the reality of college sports in the next year or so. So, um, it'll be interesting to see how the how Syracuse's uh, recruiting changes because it seems like we're kind of – we're not Kentucky where they just go and try to get all the best players and deal with the ramifications later. But we're also not, uh, you know, we're not Villanova where we're going to try to get guys that are all going to be four-year guys and have a team like this year where they have – all these players that are, you know, juniors and and a couple seniors. So um, it'll be interesting to see how how the coaching staff approaches that, and and maybe how uh, when Hopkins does take over, whether that's you know next year or for five years from now, how he views that versus how the team has been recently. There's a lot of questions out there uh, because of all the moving parts of Syracuse now, um, which you know it's not great because of how it came about, but. It certainly feels like there are more storylines with the program now than there have been in years. Yeah, one, one thing when it came to recruiting, I found that was funny when it comes to the, the sanctions, was it reduced our number of scholarships and our recruiting hours, which I think work one hand in hand together. So, because like, we can't recruit as many players, so we have less hours and time to spend recruiting, which makes sense. But I don't know. It's, I understand that it's used as a penalty, but uh, I would think that you can survive a little bit better when you have less guys you, you can recruit, or at least you can you have, you have to focus your uh, targets more, I guess. And that's maybe if it's more of a one-and-done player, it can work out for us as well. Yeah, and Syracuse has always been more focused in terms of not casting a hugely wide net. Like, SU generally gets people to commit really early, and – doesn't lose them, and they only seem to focus on a handful of guys at any given time. Um, like right now, the only people you're hearing about for 2015, the only person really at all for 2015 is Tyus Battle, um, because we already have uh, a commitment to um, uh, Matthew Moyer. So it, it, Syracuse never was a program that was involved in like all these different races. So I think it'll probably affect SEO a little less than it would have. Uh, a team like Kentucky that gets involved with every big player, pretty much. Um, not not that it's, it's better or worse, just kind of a different approach. Uh, so it might be a little the, the effects. I think they're still going to be pretty strong because if you have a guy who just doesn't work out, it's a big deal. But um, probably 
it probably mitigates the effect uh, when compared to, you know, other teams that go after a really large swath of players and just try it and, and get involved in all these different races. That's a very good point, Dan. Um, and I actually tend to agree. Um, actually hadn't really thought about it until you brought that up. Uh, yeah, SU does kind of find its targets, go after them early. I mean, at the end of the day, especially recently, there's been a, a great shift in recruiting toward finding not just the guys that fit the zone best, but the guys out of the top recruits that fit the zone best. Um, and, and that's why we've seen a lot of success and a lot of, of recruiting wins lately and then a lot of one-and-dones as a result uh, because we just find these guys who, who completely uh, know how to excel in that zone. And I think that that, that kind of practice run that we've had the last few years is actually going to come in, in, in handy quite a bit um, as we go into this uh, this new era of, uh, of sanctions. But on that note, um, don't want to run over too much here. Um, a little NCAA tournament uh, talk. I know uh, if you guys haven't, we're pulling up the uh, the Lenardi bracketology mostly so that we can uh, berate him right away for putting again Wisconsin in the same bracket as Kentucky. That is not going to happen. Um, and as always, as we have for weeks now, we just like to call that out right in the onset. Um. <laughs> Before we dive in too much, I, I want to send our condolences to the Pittsburgh Panthers, who have also taken a, uh, a one-year NCAA tournament ban as of about uh, 15 minutes ago. Um, they surrendered, I think, 58 points to Cat Barber tonight uh, and lost to NC State. Uh, so welcome, Pitt. Uh, welcome to our world. Uh, and actually, he has to finish with 34 points. Uh, and NC State dropped 81 on the Panthers, uh, shooting 53%. <laughs> So, good job, Pitt. Welcome. Welcome to the world of, uh, you know, I'm sure you guys chose to do this just like we did. Pitt, you suck. Oh, I just can't wait till Georgetown loses in the first round again this year either, so. Yeah, that's going to be a delay. Wait, can, we, can we add that in? What what double-digit seed do we think Georgetown loses to this year? Uh, Lenardi hasn't been at Oklahoma State, and I'd be so quick to fill in Oklahoma State on that bracket. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. See, this year is not as satisfying. It's not as satisfying when it's a major conference team. I mean, last week it was Tulsa, and we thought that would be hilarious. This week, Oklahoma State. Like, I think Oklahoma State is definitely talented enough to knock them off. What a team I'd really love to see them face. I'd love to see Georgetown get themselves up to a five, maybe lose to a Wofford. Like that's really what I'm looking for. Stephen F. Austin could also bludgeon Georgetown to death. Stephen F. Austin's no, no joke. Yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> like like one of them, maybe like a Valpo. Like I'm looking, I'm looking for one of those. Um, when it comes to Georgetown losing to a double digit seed. Yeah, if I was Georgetown, I'd almost want to avoid the. I mean, this is just looking at Lenardi, so obviously it's a, a crapshoot. But I'd almost want to avoid the twelve, the five, twelve games because. He has over in the West. He has Indiana BYU with a 12 game. That is brutal. <laughs> that is, <laughs> that brutal, is a for brutal whatever. 12 game. <laughs> for whatever, like whatever, he has West Virginia there, which is kind of sucks. I think West Virginia is probably the. I don't know. All these sides are actually pretty decent, but that's that's a really tough draw for whoever gets that matchup with that. Well, what happened to the in, what happened to the injury with the Cougars yesterday? Because I saw what the space went down. 
um, close against the Zags know. game. Was really a, it was really bad looking. It was bad looking, and it sucked. It was literally 29 seconds left in a blowout. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't seen anything about it, but I also didn't look. So um, let, me, let, me, let me research that a little bit while we go through this. Sure. All right. So starting in the Midwest, because it's usually where we start, it's where top seed overall Kentucky is. Um, Kentucky should have no problem with the first two opponents, whoever they may be. But that said, uh, North Carolina and Northern Iowa really present some interesting uh, matchups for them and a potential Sweet 16. Uh, I do see Northern Iowa getting to that Sweet 16 round, but uh, Kentucky seems like a good bet to get the Elite Eight, despite the fact that there's really some tough games that could potentially end up there. I also don't agree, as we've said before. Uh, I don't think Georgia is going to be put on this nine line just because if the committee's smart, they won't put Kentucky or any team really up against a team from their own conference like Georgia um, in the second round of the tournament. Um, down in the other side of the Midwest, uh, I think Wisconsin clearly the best team here. Um, Oregon LSU is a bummer to see in the first round, if only because two interesting teams that could potentially upset others um, if they were matched up against different teams. But um, Oregon and LSU, one of them will knock each other out, the other one will lose to Wisconsin. Um, and, and I don't really see Wisconsin having much trouble with any of Notre Dame, Butler, Temple, or Texas. Uh, so, again, Wisconsin will not be the number two seed in Kentucky's bracket. But if they are, for some god-awful reason, Kentucky, Wisconsin as the one-two for the Elite Eight in the Midwest sounds pretty good. Yeah, it's weird that they haven't – he hasn't moved Wisconsin out of Kentucky's uh, uh, region here in like three or four weeks. I just can't see – if you're going by, by the um, the S-curve, I, I just don't see how Wisconsin's the worst two. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, we, we talk about this every week. There's no reason why Kansas or Gonzaga shouldn't be sent to the Midwest. But if he's going to do this to us again, um, I agree. Georgia being in the nine is no way going to happen. Um, at least when Syracuse and Marquette got paired together, um, there were too many teams. It could have been worked around, but like someone, there, there had to. There, it, it made a lot more sense then for two conference opponents to be paired in the uh, second round than it does for two here when there are no other eight or nine SEC teams. Um, and there's only a handful to begin with. Um, yeah, UNC, I just don't think they're nearly consistent enough. Um, and they don't have the shooting to be Kentucky. Northern Iowa is interesting. Even with Alpo, they shoot the ball really well. I just don't – they don't have the size. Unless they went, like, absolutely crazy from three. Uh, and it would be, like, a historic upset. So, you know, those things happen, but not as often as we probably think. Um yeah, I agree. I think I think Texas, if they play their absolute best basketball, to be an issue for Kentucky, but they haven't, and they have Rick Barnes. Um, yeah, I think I think Kentucky Wisconsin is just the the, the bet here. Uh, it's unfortunate because there are some interesting teams, but there's no one that really scares you if you're a Kentucky fan at all. Uh, Wisconsin is the only team that I think would be at all frightening. And there, you know, Wisconsin needs to be shooting the ball like crazy. That's I think that's the only way it can beat Kentucky this year. You're not going to beat them playing uh, half-court basketball uh, from inside the three-point line. It's not going to happen. You have to bomb them out. Well, there's certainly teams that can bomb, you know, bomb it out too. I mean, especially in that bracket that they have there. Um, 
Yeah, like you said, with the Wisconsin thing, Dan was making a case. Yeah, I would think that either – I would think Gonzaga probably would be a good matchup if Kentucky is the is the one there. Uh, I, I, if, if you're going by, I guess, ranking the number twos, I guess Gonzaga would be up there a little bit higher maybe because making a case for a number one. But I mean, if we're going for, let's say, matchups, uh, if, or if the committee does look at that, Probably Gonzaga probably sneaks into that Midwest range as a two, but who knows what, what they're saying. But I definitely don't think it's going to be Wisconsin matched up with them. But yeah, looking at their bracket and who they got, I, though the North Carolina could be a, a tough matchup for them, only in the sense that athletically North Carolina can match up with them, and if it's Northern Iowa, Northern Iowa can, you know, offensively probably can keep up with them, which you know. It, we, if you watched all the SEC games, and I've actually watched a lot of Kentucky games this year, uh, and then barely, it's just teams that have hung on with them just have not been able to make plays at the end. And you can, you know, you can credit that to Kentucky's defense, but a lot of the times it's just they're just missing, and it's you know, it's because they're not that good offensively, or they haven't built up a good enough lead, lead or you know, early in the game, and then Kentucky comes back just you know, takes that six-point lead at the end of the game and just the other team can't catch up. Uh, and, you know, Kentucky's good enough. If they, if they click it on, they're going to they're gonna just run towards the final four. But if they do have an off game, they, get, they, they definitely can be beat. So I do kind of like them. And Wisconsin's, in the, Wisconsin's a team, uh, if you're going to the Midwest, that I'm really starting to like. I just think that they're, you know, they're pretty much the same team as last year. Uh, you know, they got a lot of playing for it, and they got a lot of good players, and they play good quality basketball. So um, if I'm looking at the Elite Eight team or Final Four team, Wisconsin definitely there. Virginia, I mean, if you look at that bracket, uh, that's a good bracket for them to kind of make some headway. Um, so Dayton, all, all Dayton does is freaking shoot threes all day. So if they get hot, they can knock off a lot of a lot of teams. Uh, but, that you know, if they go cold, <laughs> they're done. There, I'm trying to think. I guys look at Iowa as a seven seed. Uh, it's good for them, kind of turning things around. Uh, Maryland's still a good team, so we could see them. I kind of stuck with Maryland. Uh, Duke, I like still. I mean, you guys, you guys touch on a lot of the smaller schools that uh, you like here. I'm trying to look at, um, I don't know, any team. I, w- I really would like the, the Georgetown curse to continue. That you know they get beaten, and the team that, that that wins just continues to win. So that'd be fun, right? Um, and I actually, that's a question I have for you, Dan. Is I don't watch, and maybe John has a little bit more inside of this. With this Gonzaga team, you know, every year I hear the same thing, and I usually don't watch any Gonzaga basketball. But it's like, oh, this is Mark Few's team this year, and they still kind of always say, no. I mean, is, I mean, I've heard we've heard this for years now, and. People are keep saying this, but is this team, is the Gonzaga team any good? Like, can they make a run, or is this going to be one of those two when they flame out? Uh, I think they're good, but I, I think these Gonzaga teams consistently, like, they're, they're the same thing every year. They have a couple of good players who can play with the rest of the country, but they're not athletically going to stack up with a with a Kentucky. Uh, they're not quite as skilled across the board as a Wisconsin, and then they obviously – play really weak competition all year. So I think if they have the right seeding, they can make a run to like the Elite Eight on a good year. But I just never see them being um, 
like a legit Final Four contender unless a lot of things line up for them. So they're they're a good consistent program, but and they usually play, you know, at least for a long time they play for their seed pretty well. But now it feels like they get overseeded every year. Uh, like when they were that one and they almost lost to sixteen uh, a year or two ago. And I don't know, it, it's it's a solid program, but they they definitely benefit from playing uh, the WCC. And where there's only one or two programs that are even like sniffing the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I'd agree there. Um, I know it's. it's I was going to say it's tough to like tee up on 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 Gonzaga every year, but at the same time, like um, I just don't buy them. I think, like Dan said, they're kind of overseeded uh, on a regular basis. They're just not. They test themselves in non-conference, but at the end of the day, a lot of the teams they test themselves against do not really turn out to be that great. Um, the strength of schedule is just not up to par compared to a lot of these other teams. Um, I mean, personally, I would think uh, if you're seeding these along the S-curve, that Gonzaga would be in Kentucky's bracket. But um, based on on Lenardi's bracket, Gonzaga actually ends up in a – a situation where I could see them losing to either a seven seed in San Diego State. I could see them losing to North Dakota State, to be perfectly honest. Um, and, but I think that that the loss probably comes against Iowa State um, in the Sweet 16. Uh, Dan's beloved Cyclones uh, <laughs> continue to uh, to defy expectations, get themselves to what is very likely, in my eyes, to be a uh, an Elite Eight date with Duke. But... Um, there are some traps for Duke, and I think that's worth pointing out. Um, sorry that we skipped over to the South. We'll come back around. Um, I could see Duke struggling with Davidson. Um, I think they could struggle with Utah, but uh, you're probably going to see Duke-Iowa State here, but at the same time, again, I, I think some good Duke teams have lost earlier before, um, and I could very easily see Utah-Iowa State matchup here in the South. Duke also gets the, probably the toughest 16 seed, which doesn't mean anything. But actually, the 16s are generally, like, it's a pretty tough group. Like, Manhattan's you know, a team with a, you know, a tournament experience. North Florida beat up on, on not, you know, not a good league, but the Atlantic Sun's usually pretty fun. So, um, and then I agree, Davidson's always good. Uh, they're, I don't think they'll beat Duke, but they're always a good, a good watch. I'm not huge on Wichita this year. Um, I am pretty high on Utah. Uh, Duke, Utah would be a, a real flash of styles, um, and most teams can't guard the perimeter uh, against Duke, but Utah, I think, is one of the teams that probably would keep them in the high 60s, low 70s. Um, I'm almost rooting. I don't know. I've had a weird, like, clash of, of you know, thoughts with Duke over the last, like, year or two because while, you know, I, I can't stand – seeing the same programs went over and over. Uh, Duke does, like, it is it's hard to root against Coach K when he's one of, like, the ten defenders of Jim Beheim in the world. So I almost want them to do okay. Uh, not not to be my, my beloved Cyclones, obviously. Um, but I, I am kind of rooting for that matchup just because I think Duke-Iowa State would be such a fun game. Um, I think both teams would score in the mid to high 80s. Uh, I think it would just be a classic Elite Eight game. Um, but yeah, this is an interesting one. I, I actually, going back to Gonzaga, looking through this, I actually think I would take every three seed over Gonzaga and Utah. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually, higher, I, I buy that. Better. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I would I would agree there. I'd say Utah, and I'd maybe go with Northern Iowa as well. I think that would actually be a fun game. Um, yeah, going up to the east a little bit, um, I don't think Virginia has an easy time with either St. John's or Dayton. Um, I think where they really get tested is Arkansas, a team that, you know, that clash of style that, that Dan alluded to early uh, that can really uh, screw with a team that uh, plays a slower style of, of basketball. I think Arkansas could really test them. Uh, but that said, I do see Virginia getting through. I see Maryland getting through uh, without much issue uh, down in the, the bottom half of this east bracket night. I do see Maryland getting to the final four here, which, you know, sounds like blasphemy, but Dan and I discussed last week, you know, despite all the hate for the Terps, um, and there's plenty of that, um, this is a very good Maryland team, and, and I I think this bracket helps them out. Uh, VCU is another team to watch. I think Maryland VCU um, sounds like a very fun Sweet 16 game that, that I'd say is likely to happen. Yeah, I mean, Iowa's okay. Um, Kansas is fine, but they're all sorts of banged up right now. VCU has uh, – they've proven that they can win big in the NCAA tournament, and they're a pretty good team this year. Um, they've had some injury issues as well, but they're not, like, waiting on banged up guys to get back. They're kind of the team they are now. Um, yeah, I mean, we go over Maryland every week. We have our favorite, and they haven't really done anything to waver. Uh, we'll see what happens in the Big Ten tournament, but I wouldn't be surprised if they won it. Um, and it seems like this has kind of been – I think Baylor moved over, but I feel like we've had Virginia-Arkansas in the same area for a while now. Uh, Dayton is a sneaky team. We saw last year St. John's is super talented, uh, not very good, though. Um, I think Virginia preys on those kind of teams. I'd be way more worried about Dayton than I would be St. John's. Um, and then I think, uh, yeah, that Arkansas-Wofford game could be a lot of fun. I think Baylor would be interesting. Uh, a Baylor-Virginia game might not be too pleasant on the eyes. Um, depending on how Virginia looks health-wise, if Justin Anderson comes back, that would probably, you know, that would change things a lot. Because Virginia, when Anderson is playing, I read today, is a top-five efficiency team on both offense and defense. They fall off a lot when Anderson is out. Um, he said today that he, you'd need uh, either, you need to hide his uniform and uh, seat belt him to the bench for him to not play in the ACP tournament. So I guess that means he's playing. Um, or it'll look really funny on the bench. But, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Virginia's health, I think people will – it's kind of flown under the radar because they're 7-1 without Anderson. But that's a huge storyline, I think, going forward because their story – I mean, aside from the game where they blew up Wake Forest by 40, they're, they've just been getting by uh, without him, and they're still really good. But they're not the, the one-seed team that just kind of ran through the beginning of the schedule without him. So if he's back and he's fully healthy – and he's storing his, like, normal 14, 15 points every night. Um, I, I like Virginia a lot. Uh, and a possible Virginia-Maryland uh, battle is very exciting. But otherwise, I think uh, Dayton could be, inter- uh, could, could be a, an interesting one for them. Arkansas, I think, would be a, an interesting to see what that game looks like. But I think Virginia is a good deal better. And then Baylor, I think, would be um, potentially – probably the trickiest team from that top of the of the region. Agreed. Um, 
Now down to the West, uh, which like I don't think any of the three of us have really touched on much yet. Um, Jared, what, what what are you seeing here? I know there's some interesting teams. There's some less than interesting teams. Uh, this seems like if you're going to pick a region that looks like upset city, uh, this might be the one you're looking for. Montana. I'm into Montana, just like Seth Davis. <laughs> Montana. Montana over Villanova, right there, boys. Calling it right now. Uh, Great, yeah, yeah I, I I doubt that that happens. Never picked the 16 over the one, but now uh, that'd be interesting to see how Villanova kind of reacts to that number one seed. I mean, it seems like when everyone talks about brackets and seedings, it's like, well, yeah, we just we got to give Villanova, you know, the number one seed. They have no reason why. Uh, and you have to. You just don't feel like they deserve it, or like are they feel like a number one seed? Uh, so that that will be interesting. I mean, I honestly I can see them, you know, losing the Ohio State or NC State. Any of those teams, you know, can play straight up with them, uh, and that will be interesting. You know, West Virginia has been up and down this season, uh, so we'll see how. They, and then obviously with the Indiana BYU playing, if that is the case, any one of those teams can make a run, you know, to the Sweet 16 or Elite 8 as well. So, uh, and then trying to think, uh, looking here, Oklahoma's been pretty steady. Michigan State has come, you know, from out of the grave. Uh, night of the Living Dead, no one thought at, at one point in the season that they were going to be to make a, a, cha- a run at the NCAA tournament, and they, they did. They've been fantastic, and Arizona, like I said, a lot of these West Coast teams, I don't know, but Arizona always seems to kind of come out of the, you know, not surprise everyone, but sort of like, especially on the East Coast, it's tough because you don't really watch a lot of their games, and all of a sudden, like, Arizona is in the Sweet 16 or Elite 8, and you're like, how'd that happen? And then you realize by, like, you know, the, the Elite 8 game or, like, the first Sweet 16 game that, holy cow, they have a lot of good players, and they could actually make it to the Final Four. So... It's always interesting to see how Arizona kind of goes in the whole thing, but uh, I would not pick Villanova. I definitely would pick an upset coming out of there. It's, that's just that's a messy bracket. I don't know really who I would pick. I would play rooting interest would be Michigan State, but I don't think I have the talent to do it. Uh, I'm not rooting for Louisville whatsoever. Uh, yeah, I just I, I don't know. That's that's a very tough bracket. Um, maybe Arizona. I don't know. I, I guess I would I would fill that in coming out of that bracket, but that that is a messy one. Yeah, the West is like a total minefield for Villanova. Um, I, I agree that they deserve a one seed, but it's kind of by default, and I can kind of see that changing if Wisconsin wins the Big Ten tournament and gets like a has some good performances along the way. I think they are. I, I think Duke is safer. I mean, the ACC tournament depends on how that plays out, too, because Duke and Virginia are both by for one. But, I mean, that second possible game, Ohio State is the best backcourt player in the country. Um, Villanova is a bunch of really good ones, but I could see D'Angelo Russell going off for 40. Um, any Anytime, not in Villanova specifically. Uh, NC State, I think, is coming on strong at the end of the year. Uh, they did a performance today. They beat Syracuse pretty uh, handily. Um, I think they're more talented than your normal nine seed, but uh, they don't always bring it. But they could show up with Villanova, West Virginia is a scary team, BYU, Indiana are scary, Louisville, probably less scary based on recent events, but obviously they can give teams fits. Um, 
even Providence or Oklahoma. Like this whole bracket, I think I think it'd be a, a very tall order for Villanova to get out of this this one alive. Um, I'm going to. I think I took uh, West Virginia a couple weeks ago. I, I kind of like them. I think Villanova's more talented, but I think West Virginia is a little. Um, I, I kind of feel like the Big East has has been a bit overrated um, from top to bottom. Uh, I think Villanova would have not obviously not gone whatever they are twenty eight and three uh, in a in a true power conference. Um, and I just feel like someone's going to catch them. Like we saw, I, I'm probably a little biased because of, we saw the Syracuse Villanova game, and they certainly didn't look like a one seed there. Uh, but there have been games where they just have they come out flat. Um, they end up winning out because they are a deep team full of talented players, whereas most of the Big East is not. Um, but that bottom, I, I just don't I don't see them making a Final Four run if, if the bracket looks like this. Um, Arizona, on the other hand, I haven't been super high on them all year, but it seems like they're playing just really good basketball. They're starting to score well, where they struggled earlier in the year. Not a great shooting team, but they're probably the most athletic team outside of Kentucky. Um and they have a, a rock solid point guard in T.J. McConnell. So I'd pro- I'm going to go uh, West Virginia and Arizona. Um, I don't know. I'm a little scared of speaking the Mountaineers, but because I could also see them losing to either Indiana or BYU. But it just seems like, I mean, Hudgens is a good coach. They have a, a really good uh, lead guard in Juwan Staten. Um, so, yeah, and I, I just, for some reason, I just don't, I, I'm not buying Villanova. I would agree. And I think part of it is that we're all kind of, uh, you know, tainted a little bit by uh, Syracuse's effort against them. But um, expanding upon a little bit more, I think NC State is, is a great kind of, like, if you want to look for a higher seed upset, like, upset pick for a couple of rounds, NC State seems like a pretty good bet um, to get through to maybe the Elite Eight. Um, I think you're well set up here for a West Virginia NC State Sweet 16. Um I definitely see um, Arizona Providence on the bottom half of this bracket, uh, but I definitely see Arizona getting out. Um, I know that Arizona has kind of struggled to, to get over that hump in recent years um, and get into the Final Four despite some very talented squads. Uh, this seems like the year in the bracket, if this one would play out, just because the see Villanova is the weakest of those those four ones and because, again, of the, the kind of bloodbath nature of of this West bracket. So if I had to choose, um, I'd say NC State, Arizona, and Arizona uh, finds its way to the Final Four in all likelihood. I I can totally see that. I think NC State's really good. I think uh, it took them a while. They're they're obviously not consistent, at least over the course of the the whole season, but they do seem to be uh, coming up big when it counts. I wouldn't be shocked to see them make a, a deep run in the ACC tournament either. Right, and also I'd say in that regard, if NC State makes a deep run into the conference tournament, you could see them suddenly play their way into a, a six or a seven that uh, it becomes a real headache for, for a two, maybe Gonzaga um, down the line. Yeah, I, I think they're way under season than not in terms of just raw talent, and I agree, though. They'll probably want to be one of those teams. Um, the classic UConn goes from, like, French tournament team to – uh, you know, top six, top five seed in, in one weekend type deal. I don't think they're, you know, they don't have a Shabazz Napier, but I, I could see them making a similar move. Agreed. 
All right. So uh, I think that kind of wraps us up for today, unless uh, unless you guys have any other thoughts before we uh, we depart for another week. Jared, how's no. Breaking Bad? Uh, so far, so good. Season in, like, <laughs> four or five episodes in. So enjoy. I started it today. Got addicted to nothing all day. Uh, so I, I have a feeling it'll be. I will finish all five seasons uh, pretty quickly. So, which is good. Like uh, with with Breaking Bad, there's only like twelve to thirteen episodes per season. There's only five seasons, so you can knock it out pretty quick. So I'm really excited for that. But yeah, it's, yeah. it's really good. I'm jealous of you know not being able to watch it with fresh eyes. So enjoy that. Yeah, and I I'm, I did a very good job of just ignoring a lot of it, uh, you know, what was going on. So I I know some things that happen, like what goes like in the, you know, the sort of as we move forward. But I'm really, yeah, really, it's it's a new experience for me. So I'm excited. Nice. Well, uh, yeah, I guess that'll end this. Um, this has been Troy Noons. It's an absolute podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo. I'd like to thank Jared and Dan for joining me today. Thanks for having us, as always. Yeah, good to, good to be back on. Happy next March, week, everyone. Next, next, uh, <laughs> next week is just, we're gonna, all we're going to do is just break down our brackets, right? That's all we're going to do? <laughs> uh, very likely. And then, oh, and then I'll have cool stories because on St. Patrick's Day, I have an NCAA bracket auction so I'll have stories for that, too. So that's a new experience. I haven't done an auction before, so I'm excited. I'm going to Columbia, South Carolina for St. Patrick's Day, so I might actually be around. I'll probably be dead. So uh didn't know everyone here. <laughs> I will be in Phoenix, Arizona over the weekend. So I will be enjoying the Carmelo Knickerbockers, um, some Dodgers spring training, and going to get myself a tour of... <laughs> yeah, and the end of It felt like Arizona here in New York today. It was fifty degrees. <laughs> it was way. It was amazing. The sun was out. Birds were chirping. It was crazy. Luckily, I'll avoid any any semblance of cold when uh, when I finally make my triumphant turn return to New York State come June, and it should be. Uh, Hopefully in the uh, yeah. the seventy to seventy five degree range with uh, with a little humidity. So, uh, <laughs> so who knows? Well, I'm sure we we all hope it snows just for you, John. Oh. So safe tra- safe travel, fellas. Well, thank you. And uh, for those listening at home, uh, enjoy the rest of your week. Uh, try to watch the ACC tournament. I know it's difficult. And uh, be sure to review and rate us on iTunes and Blog Talk Radio because we do appreciate it. It does help, believe it or not. Um, and yeah. Enjoy. Yeah. Sorry. Just kind of lost my train of thought. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. And uh, go Orange. Go Orange. Go Orange. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry 
from delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.